Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14 through 17. I want to speak to you on the subject entitled, Tough Love. <laughs> Tough love. You know, you say the tough things to the people that you love. People that you don't know, that you don't love, don't care about, you might not do it. But to the people that you love, you will say the hard things. We were in a restaurant, oh, I don't know how many months ago it was. I'm always in one somewhere, so <laughs> could have been any time. We were having fun with some friends and just laughing. And, you know, I've got a big mouth. I'm sorry. If I had a small one, it would look funny on this big body anyway. And I got teeth, I know, everywhere. I wished I had those white pearlies that some, people, some of y'all have, but I don't. My dentist told me, he said, if you were, you were gonna, you're not going to come in, just send in your teeth one at a time. I'll clean them and send them back. <laughs> but I was just laughing, having the best time, teeth everywhere. And my wife leaned over and whispered something in my ear. Only those who love you would tell you these things. And she said, Wayne, <laughs> There's something ugly and green stuck between your front two teeth. And you know, immediately you're laughing. You say, what? Okay. <laughs> and then you proceed to work away on it and see if you can pull that awful piece of lettuce or whatever it is. It got stuck right there between your teeth. Only the people that love you tell you the things you might have not wanted to hear, but it's for your good. You know, if I would have understood this part of the scriptures before we started the book of 1 Corinthians, I would have started here. You've got to know the heart of the Apostle Paul. He's been awfully difficult in, the, in some verses here. I mean, tough. You're talking about saying some hard things to the Corinthian church. But he wants to make sure they understand the motivation of why he's done this. He loves them. He cares about them. Verses 6 through 13, he really nailed them. And then he comes in, verse 8, matter of fact, verse 8. He says, you are already filled, he says to them. You have already become rich. You've become kings without us. And I would indeed you had become kings so that we might also reign with you. Now, that's a very uh, sarcastic verse. and He doesn't mean it in fleshly sarcasm. He says it in such a way to sting them and to get their attention. The word, he uses the word fill there. He says, you know, when you're filled, nobody can feed you. He says, you're rich. Nobody can give anything to you. 
You're kings. So nobody can tell you anything. You rule and you reign. In other words, he's saying, you guys are living such fleshly lives. It's as if you have arrived. And then, because Paul loves them, he confronts them in that conceit. And in verses 9 through 13, oh my goodness, he puts up beside their conceit and their arrogance and their fleshly immaturity. He puts up beside that the lifestyle of the apostles. And look what he says there in verse 9. He says, for I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Now that word exhibit has the idea that first of all, you approve something of being worth something and then you put it on display. You don't ever put it on display until it's been approved. And Paul says, we are the apostles. Now, you've got to understand, the apostles to them were a little different than how we read about apostles. We understand them. But back in their day, the apostles were the ones that God commissioned. And buddy, they had absolute authority in the church. And the apostle Paul is saying, hey, you guys, you're living as if you're already arrived. God has approved of us as apostles and has put us on exhibit. Not as first, but as last. Now, boy, he's contrasting the ways that they're living and the ways the apostles live. Notice the term he uses there in verse 9, 3 of them. He says, last, we're last of all. We're condemned to death. We're a spectacle to the world. The word spectacle means theater. The world is looking at us and they don't see us as first. They see us as last. In verse 10, he says, we're fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. Look at the terms again. Fools in the world's eyes, weak, despised. Verse 11, he says, To this present hour we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. Hungry and thirsty, the word for poorly clothed actually is translated naked, but, but in the idea of their culture would have been poorly clothed. Roughly treated means to be beaten, actually hit with the fist. And then the word homeless, he says in verse 12, And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. Of course, you see the, the voluntary uh, humility of the apostles. But look, he says, we toil. We work with our own hands. You Corinthians, you're rich. You don't have any need of anything. You don't have to work. You don't even get your hands dirty. We're reviled. We're persecuted. And then in verse 13, he says, when we are slandered, we try to conciliate. When we have become, we have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. He says, we've been slandered. But then he comes down and draws that bottom line picture. He says, we have become as the scum of the world and the dregs of all things, even until now. Remember last time? Scum and dregs, they're actually synonyms of each other. And when you cook and you leave food on the inside of a pot and you leave it there for days and days and days and days and it's slimy and smelly and yeah. And you've got to go in now and scrape it off because it's hardened on that pot and you scrape it off and you can't hardly stand it and you get it off and you throw it away. That's what the word means. It was used of the vilest of, of, of people in the humanity and everybody looked down on somebody like this and he says, God has approved of us as apostles. But we have become in the exhibit that he wants the world to see as scum and dregs. But you Corinthians, boy, y'all must have really got it together. Y'all are living as if you have already arrived. You see the sarcasm and the irony that he's using here? But the helpful thing is to remember that he loves them. 
That's what he's doing it for. He's not some sarcastic individual. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. This is God's Word, not Paul's Word. It's God's Word through Paul. And so Paul is trying to remind them, and he's warning them, and he's trying to get their attention. As a matter of fact, you think that was hard. You go back to chapter 3, and he says, hey, you're intentionally immature little babies. That's what you are. You won't grow up. You attach yourself to men and flesh, etc. And see, he's been really saying some hard things. And you can almost feel his heartbeat. Because it's like many times when I'm maybe doing something, you're doing something with your children, and you have to stop in the middle of it, and you say, now listen, now, I love you, I love you, understand this. I'm having to say some hard things, but I really do love you. You can really feel the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul doing exactly that. Because I want to tell you, in chapter 5, he turns right around, and buddy, it gets tougher. But he wants them to know that if you love somebody, you will say the tough things. This is tough love. If you don't care about them, all no, you let them go. But if you love them, you can't do that. Well, here we go. Let's look at four things today about the character of the Apostle Paul and how this tough love comes out of a compassionate, a loving heart that he has. First of all, the concern Paul has for the Corinthians. They've got to know that. They can't take what he's saying unless they know his love for them. He says in verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my Beloved children. Now, in that first phrase, he immediately gets to the point. He says, I do not write these things to shame you. The word shame is the word intrepo. Several words for shame. The, uh, the, but this particular word causes a person out of extreme embarrassment to withdraw. Have you ever had that happen to you? Somebody just humiliated you, just embarrassed you intentionally, and you just, it just caused you to withdraw from the whole crowd. And Paul says, in no way am I doing that. Matter of fact, he used the word for not there. I do not write these things to shame you. Is the word that would have gotten their attention. I wish in our language we had the way of expression they had in their language because you can't miss it. In their way of thinking, they would have seen, I would not have. It means in not in any way, shape, or form. The little word ook is used there. And that's, that's a, normally that's a word that means profound. I would not in any way, shape, or form shame you. That's not what I'm doing. You may feel ashamed because of what I've said to you because you're guilty. But I'm not writing this to shame you. That's not my purpose. You see, they've stepped out of bounds. And as a loving father, he's trying to draw them back. Just like you'd correct your children. Then he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. Now, have you ever noticed how shame affects your emotions? But how when you admonish somebody, it goes beyond that to the mind and to the heart when you're warning them. If they can understand that you're trying to warn them, it's different. As a matter of fact, the word admonish is a word nuthiteo. It comes from the word nous, which means mind that can understand, and the word tithemi, which means to place. To place something in one's mind in his understanding, to appeal to his mind, to warn him, to admonish him. My dad if he said it once, he said it a thousand times when I was growing up, after he had admonished me, <laughs> corrected me or whatever, and he'd say, Wayne Allen, he died when he was 60 and I was only 23 and I, I just wish he could still be alive today. I miss him so much. He was so good for me. But he'd say, Wayne Allen, Wayne Allen. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. He'd say, think, son, think. And he was just trying to get my attention so that what I would do would help me, not hurt me. But how often, especially as children, and you see, these are immature spiritual children. They won't come out of the nursery. And normally, a child doesn't understand correction. They think you're out to get them. 
That's why Paul is trying to say to them, I know, I know you don't understand my motive, but I want you to know I really do care about you. Like a father warning a child. Look at the rest of the verse. He says it. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now I want to tell you, you cannot find a more tender word than the word beloved anywhere in Scripture. It's a word in their, their language. It meant affection. It, you know, Paul is saying, man, I really care about y'all. The word beloved, it's the word uh, agapitos, if I said it right. And it's that it, to them, it was just a very precious, precious thing. It means dear. You're my dear. And then the word children, obviously he's referring to it in a, in a spiritual sense, not a physical sense. And you'll see that even more in my next point. But how is he their spiritual father? I mean, how, how would they be his spiritual children? Well, obviously they're the children of God. But how, what connection does he have with them? Well, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. Remember, he's got a, he has a right, not only as an apostle, but because he has invested his life with these people. And he cares about them. That's what he's trying to show them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, he says, I planted now that means I planted. <laughs> there wasn't any seed there until I came and God used me to plant. I planted, Apollos watered. And remember, Apollos was the second pastor. He came along and watered what I'd planted. But God was causing the growth. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And another's building upon it, but let each man be careful how he builds upon it. What is that foundation? Verse 11, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul says to these immature children who normally children can't take correction, he wants to make sure they understand he is as a loving father to a child. He says, you're to me like my own children. I have a spiritual connection to you and that's why I'm saying the hard things that I'm saying to you. When we got back from Montana, we were met at the airport by my precious son-in-law and daughter. <laughs> Just love them. And my little granddaughter, Holland. And they had Holland dressed up in a Tennessee cheerleader's outfit. Now, I want you to know, she is the cutest thing to me that ever graced the face of this earth. But you put a Tennessee cheerleader's outfit on her, friend, I could eat her with a spoon. I mean, that was wonderful. We're going to need her next week. But anyway, she, she was just so cute. Man, she just was so excited. She, was she ever prissy in that little outfit? She knew. She knew she looked good. And everybody, we was all enjoying holding her and all. We went out to the house, and uh, my son-in-law and my, my daughter, and they were going to go home so they get to get their car. And we, we let her out. And she wanted to get down. She wanted to walk around, run around, and we have a lot of concrete out there. It's rough concrete. So I said, let me take your hand. So I was walking with her, but she was way ahead of me. I was trying to keep up with her. She just loved to run, and she'd stop and just skip. Man, I, just, well, I don't need to tell you all that, but <laughs> got her out in the grass. And then when she got back over on the concrete, she kind of wanted to get loose. She wanted to go on her own. And just, it just came out of me, and I remember the little look on her face, and I was saying, Holland, no. And, and I didn't mean it. I'm mad at you. A minute, I don't want you to run and fall and hurt yourself on that concrete. And that little quick look that she gives to you like, what do you mean? Because <laughs> a child has difficulty when somebody talks tough with them, when somebody wants to correct them. And so Paul is saying, listen, what I'm doing is as a father to a child. I have concern for you. 
As a matter of fact, he's going to develop this now. It's moving from just concern to a deep compassion that he has for them. Now, I want to tell you, folks, you can receive a lot of things from people that you know love you. It's tough when you receive it and they don't, and you know that they don't love you. So let's look at the second thing then. First thing is the concern of the Apostle Paul. Secondly, the compassion of the Apostle Paul. Because it may, takes a different dimension here. It moves even beyond just simple concern. Paul is going further to illustrate his fatherly love for him. A stranger's words, like I said, will, will be resented, but not a father. He loves you. Only a father would know and understand that kind of... Matter of fact, before I go on, how many of you are fathers or grandfathers in here? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> okay, you'll have no trouble with this passage whatsoever. Verse 15, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Now let's make sure we understand this. God is our heavenly father. But what he's talking about is in the sense of relationship in the spiritual world. He has a deep connection with them. He says, for if you were to have countless tutors. That word countless, most of the time is translated 10,000. But the reason it's translated countless here is it really means with a, with innumerable. But when you see it in Scripture many times, some translations pick it up and they put 10,000. But the word really means you can't even number the quantity of them. And so the Apostle Paul says you can have innumerable tutors in your life, but only one father. And he's doing this to show them the concern and the compassion he has for them. The word tutors is a word that, that referred to, it comes from two words, the word that means child and also the word that means a leader, a leader of children, instructor of children. In the day and the culture this came out of, this person was originally a slave who had charge of the son of a wealthy person. In other words, it was somebody else's property, but he had charge over him to make sure he behaved. He would lead him to school, saw to it that the child behaved properly. He, he's really more than a, a guardian than he was an instructor. Although there was instruction involved, he was a guardian. He watched over them to make sure they behaved properly. And Paul is not putting these guardians down. He's not saying, hey, these are good things. And you'll have innumerable tutors in your life. But what I want you to know, he says, I'm teaching you something. They'll teach you, instruct you. It'll be right. Do what they say if it's the word of God. But he says, I'm coming at you. I'm coming to you as a father would to a child. Understand my heart. It's not as, as a simple guardian or as a simple instructor. Sure, I will teach you. But I want you to know my compassion that I have for you. The Apostle Paul was much more than just a tutor. He felt it as a father to his children. He says, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now we saw how that basically took place, but look what he says here. Look at the phrase, in Christ Jesus. That's a significant phrase. Obviously, we're worrying at him. We're now in Christ. So all things that take place in him, but I think it means more than that. It means in connection with Christ. Making sure they understand there's a spiritual relationship here that we have because of my connection with him, I have a deep connection with you. It was in Christ Jesus that the motivation came to go to Corinth. You know, you go back to Acts and find out he, he, God led him over there. And when, they, when he got there, it was the Ishmael games were coming up not far from then. And they, he met uh, Priscilla and Aquila and they, they, they were tent makers. So they made tents together, obviously making money for the ministry that God had given to him. And then Timothy and Silas came over and they stopped making tents and they just started evangelizing. And out of that came a church there in Corinth. But it was in Christ, in connection with Christ. Christ wanted a church in that wicked, wealthy city in Greece. But not only that, it was in Christ that the burden came to share the gospel. It wasn't Paul's burden, it was God's burden in Paul. 
And it was in Christ Jesus that the power and the anointing came which drew the Corinthians to Christ and to conviction and to the cross. So now it is in Christ Jesus because of this whole thing that he has this relationship with the Corinthians. Truly, he is their spiritual father. He is writing to them and saying some hard things because he loves them and wants them to understand that if they'll listen to what he has to say, the transformation that can come in their life. And you know, you think about it. What father that loves his children would not do the same? I, I, it's awfully tough to do it. But, but, but what father would not do the same? Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know, you can take this to any relationship that you know they love you. That's what he's, bottom line, that's what he's saying. He's not stressing father, children. He's stressing the relationship and how he loves them, the compassion that he has for them. I mentioned Diana a while ago, and she's my dearest friend, and she loves me, and I know she loves me. And there are times when, when I, I guess I wish she would have a little signal she'd hold up. Do, 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 And that little signal would mean, Wayne, I'm about to tell you something you don't want to hear, so prepare yourself. But sometimes she, she, she's very... Uh, quick to do that without any uh, uh, <laughs> counsel beforehand. <laughs> How do I say this without well, doing it right? <laughs> like I'll get in the car after we get home and I get home and I'll say, Diana, how do you think? Did it communicate? Because I never think I communicate. I, I never listen to many of my messages because I can't stand it. I'm my worst critic. And I, I just say, did it, did it even communicate? Did I, did I get anything out that I think that I got in? And, and sometimes she'll say, yes, yes. And I just think, well, what makes my day, man? And I can ask a lot of people, but I'm, I, and I know the Lord is the one who approves of me, but I do know Dinah loves me, and she'll tell me the truth. But there are other times. <laughs> and I'll say, Dinah, how do you think it went? She'll, mm. <laughs> and uh, you didn't say this word right, and you didn't say that word right, and you thoroughly confused me right here. And right now I'm thinking, I don't want this. You see, most of us don't want this. That's why Paul is trying to stop. Listen, he has not said the tough things yet. You think he's been tough up until now. Chapter 5, I understand there's immorality among you. Worse than the pagan world. I mean, he just, whoa. But he's making sure they understand why he's doing what he's doing. The people that really love us, that love you, that love me, are the people that will say the hard things to you. But if you know they love you, you can receive them that much better. And you know, God has given us his word. We don't need, we don't need this clarified through Paul that, that, that he loves us. We know God loves us. That's why we have the word. But oh, if we would just be, be receptive of those hard things that God wants to say to us so often. Well, the third, the third thing I want you to see, first the concern of Paul, but then it moves deeper than that. And he shows them, I feel like a father toward you. You're my children. And then the compassion of Paul. And then the thirdly, the counsel. Of Paul. Now, what is it he's going to say to them right now? He says, I love you. I'm saying these things for you. He says in verse 16, I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. Now, you've got to be careful about this and understand what he's saying. The word exhort is the word parakaleo. Here it means to call upon someone, to come alongside them, to be called alongside them, to beseech them to do something, to entreat them to do something. It's a counseling word. You cannot counsel without this word. That's what it's for, to entreat them to come to the Word of God. That's what he's called alongside to do. And it, what is his counsel? He says, be imitators 
of me. Boy, I tell you what, the word imitators is a good word. It's the word we get the word mime from. It is the word, matter of fact, mimites. And we get the word mime from. And you know what mime is, don't you? Have you ever seen somebody do some mime? They don't, how many words does a person say when they're doing mime? None. But they do everything by their actions. And you're supposed to be able to discern what they're doing and who they are by how they act. So the immediate thing you get out of this word is, I don't, I'm not concerned about your talk, Paul says. I'm concerned about your walk. <laughs> Not what you say that, that, that I'm, I'm talking to you about. It's how you're living. That's what I'm dealing with right here. And so you get that word immediately. Well, here it has the meaning when he says, be imitators of me, mime me. He's not putting himself on a pedestal and saying, I'm, I'm up here and you're down there. But what he's saying is, do as I do. And it's in the present tense as a lifestyle. It means to do as somebody else does. Let me show you this in the New Testament. Perhaps you get a better grasp of the word. Look over in chapter 11 in verse 1. Just to make sure, just a couple of things that as I was studying, I thought might be good to bring out to make sure you understand when he says, be imitators of me. The Apostle Paul is in no way putting himself in a position of having arrived. He has something else he's trying to say to him. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. In other words, Paul says, I am doing something that I have seen in Christ that he does, and I want you to do the same thing. Now, what is that? If you back up in the context of chapter 10, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians, look what he says. Whether, what, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Did Jesus not do that to his father? Yes. And Paul says, I seek to do that for him. I want him to be seen in me. And therefore, I want you to let him be seen in you. Therefore, you do what I'm doing, which is surrender, bow, trust, obey. That's what he's saying. It's not like you do everything I do in my life. You have the same attitude towards God that I have. You receive the things that I've, that I've, that I've taught you. Well, look over in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. And this is one of the more tough ones where the word is used. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. This is why I want to do this because sometimes we misunderstand this and we think we can actually imitate somebody else's life. No, sir. I can't. God never said I could. He can. He always said He would. And you've got to continue to balance yourself with that thought. In Ephesians 5, 1, look what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. <laughs> you do as God does. You know, there's a guy who wrote a book uh, years ago called In His Steps and Charles Shelton. And it's a great book. But to me, it misses the heartbeat of what Christianity is all about. I can't do as God did. However, there is something here that I can, I can understand. You see, if you think you can do as God does, you wake up in the morning. I promise you now. And you say, God, I'm going to love every brother that you put in my life today because you love everybody. And I'm going to do as you do. By noon tomorrow, God's going to put a brother in your life you did not know existed. And by 1 o'clock, you're going to be saying, God, I can't. And God's going to say, I never said you could. If you'll take the context of the whole book of Ephesians, you'll understand how to imitate God. Back in chapter 3, verse 16, be strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit of God. Accommodate Christ by your faith. Then the garment of chapter 4 that you'll be wearing is not something you're doing, but something he's doing in you that's being seen on the outside. Therefore, imitate God. You've got to understand the whole context. 
When you first hear, imitate something, you think you can jump right in the gear and do it. That's not what he's talking about. There's an attitude. There's a, there's a walk here. There's, there's more to it than just miming somebody in the sense of how we would see it. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, it's in the context of joyfully receiving the Word of God in their lives. Paul says of the Thessalonians, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. How? Having received the Word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. How? He says, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. So he's, again, you see, do as we do, but there's more to it than just do as we do. Hebrews 6, 12, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And I think those are the two ingredients there. Patience meaning the ability to bear up under that Christ gives. Trusting Him, bearing up under. And these are things that God alone can empower you to do. So when Paul says, do as I do, he, he seems to be saying more than that. He seems to be saying, do as I have taught you. Understand, look at, look at the context of Corinthians. Don't be immature. Attach yourself to Christ. That's what I do. That's what I've told you, taught you to do. You let Christ then do through you what he can only do. So, so Paul is bringing them to the teaching, bringing them to the walk bringing them to the act of surrender and the act of, of putting their faith into Christ. So, he also has said the willingness to be a fool in the world's eyes. That's, in, that's the immediate context. The willingness to walk humbly before God, huh, no matter how the world thinks about you. See, the, the Corinthian church was more concerned with the world than they were with God. And Paul says, we're not that way. We're the apostles. Do as we do. <laughs> Humble yourself. Obey God. Let God be in you what He wants to be. Attach yourself to Him. And I guarantee you the world it will look at you then like they look at us. But don't worry about that. Do as I do. The teaching that I have given to you, you do as I do. So the concern of Paul, the compassion of Paul, the counsel of Paul. But then you come down to the companion of Paul. And I want you to see this and hang on here for a minute. Because the, the reason I put the companion there is because it was a C and it went on with alliteration. <laughs> but the real thing I want you to see is Paul is going to send to them his closest companion. He calls Timothy his co-laborer, his brother in the Lord. Timothy is as important to Paul, humanly speaking, as anybody that could have been in those days. And Paul says, I can't get to you, but oh, I'm so concerned about you that I'm going to send my closest companion, my biggest help that I have, I'm going to send Timothy to you because I care about you, you see. Man. You have to understand what's going on here. If you just read it carelessly, you don't realize what a sacrifice Paul is making, but showing how compassionately he loves the people there in Corinth. I'm going to send Timothy, my beloved son in the faith. Look at verse 17. He says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. Now what ways is he talking about? Just as I teach everywhere in every church. The ways he speaks of are the ways that are a direct result of receiving what God has said and being empowered by the grace of God to do those things. Since Paul was not there, Paul said, I want to make sure it continues on. So I'm going to send to you, I'm going to send to you, Timothy, my beloved. He says, for this reason, and that ties the things together, so you see the link there. For this reason, the reason that I love you, the reason that you're like my children, 
the reason that I feel as a father to you, I'm sending Timothy. Timothy will teach you the same things that I taught to you. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy. And the words I have sent to you is aorist indicative, which means it's done. He's on his way as I speak. I've already made the decision. Cut him loose. He's coming to you. Because I have a burden for you, and you're going to have to be reminded of some things. Now, he says, Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Now, you're talking about a guy that's close to, to Paul. And many people think that Paul led him to Christ. However, there's a debate about that. Did he actually lead him to Christ? I'm not going to enter into that debate except that he was strongly and spiritually connected to this man. As a matter of fact, he calls him his child in the faith. And here he says he's my beloved. It's like there's something unique between Paul and Timothy. Paul had sunk his life into Timothy. And then he writes to Timothy from prison. And he says to him, he says, listen, Timothy, you find faithful men and you entrust to them what I've taught you, and then they'll find faithful men, and they'll entrust it to them. So he was a true disciple of the apostle Paul, and a co-laborer. When Paul was in prison in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he, at the last part of it, he says, he, he says, Timothy, come to me. I'm lonely. Please come to me. The one person he wanted to see out of everybody in the world was Timothy. Timothy was so important to the apostle Paul. But Paul says, hey, I'm going to cut him loose and I'm going to send him to you. I can't come. But maybe somehow by him coming to you, you'll understand how much I honestly love you and I care about you. And you're going to have to have somebody to hold the standard in front of you, somebody to keep the life in front of you so that you'll know how to walk. They were babies, refused to grow up. They're going to have to have somebody to constantly get them moving in their Christian walk. Well, why would he send Timothy? He says he's faithful in the Lord. He's faithful in the Lord. You can put your confidence in him because he puts his confidence in Christ, just like I put my confidence in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. You can count on Timothy. He is faithful in the Lord, and I'm going to send him to you. And I know I may have dwelled on that for a while, but I want you to make sure you understand that there's a big sacrifice Paul is making here, trying to show, once again, how much he's concerned about these people. Now, what is Timothy faithful to do? He says in verse 17, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, do you think the Apostle Paul went around and because of his lifestyle, he made up a set of principles and went and taught that to everybody? No. He taught the Word of God. He, he never minced the whole counsel of God. He's not speaking of something of his own ways. He's speaking of ways that have come from his constant study and teaching in the Word of God. Timothy will teach you as I have taught you. That's what he's saying. The word remind is a good word. Matter of fact, if you ever want to do a word study, do the word remind or remember in the New Testament. It'll bless you. It'll bless you. How many times we have to be reminded of something? Paul says in Philippians 3, he says to write the same things again to you, no trouble to me, Ah, it'll reap your benefit. <laughs> well, it's convicted me many times when I stand in this pulpit and you've heard me for all these years and you know every illustration I've used 10, 12, 15 times. And every time I start using it, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm repeating myself. I need to be fresh and new. And then God every single time reminds me of that verse. Wayne, you think they heard you the first time? <laughs> They need to be reminded, reminded. And then I heard from the secular world that you forget 75% of what you've heard in 72 hours. And why in the world? It's just a pride thing. It has to be. 
And Paul says, I'm sending him to remind you. You need to be reminded. Evidently, you've forgotten something. The word remind comes from Anna, again, and the word that means to put in mind, to remind. Again, and again, and again, and again. Implicitly, to put on exhibit in the mind is a priority over and over and over and over and over again. And it's through that that the children learn particularly. And these were, remember, immature children that would not grow up. And that's the only way you teach a child is remind them, remind them, remind them, remind them, remind them, remind them. And finally, one day they become trained. You ever thought about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? It says, for uh, the word of God is profitable. Uh, it's, God in, it's God inspired. All, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable. And by the way, you know some of these... <laughs> crazy religions that come up. Have you heard of the Huppers? The, and the Lord uh, said, uh, you know, have you ever heard them? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You know what many of them believe? They believe that when they, uh, that they're actually breathing in the spirit because the word for spirit is breath. And they, they believe that the next thing that comes out is what God would say. That's what they're doing. <laughs> Real interesting. Anyway, all, all scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. And by the way, that has no credibility in scripture unless you can find it in the book of hesitations, what they believe. But anyway, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable. What's the first thing it's profitable for? Teaching. Now hang on to this. Reproof, correction, and then what? Training, instruction or training in righteousness. Padean. It means child training. Now do you realize where it starts and where it's headed? It starts with teaching. And I want you to understand something. Paul says, you people have been taught. You already know this. You're going to have to be reminded, 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 reminded until one day, as Hebrews 5 says, you grow up and your senses now are trained under righteousness. That's exactly what's happening here. And I'm going to send Timothy to do the reminding over and over and over and over again. You tell a child, don't you go out in the street and play. That child, does he understand? Clearly understand? Yeah, he understands. Is he going to do it? No. You look out the door and he's out in the street. Get out there and grab him and reprove him by what you said. You hold the standard up. I told you not to. Here's the consequence. And you reprove him. And you put your hand on a certain puffy part of his body and warm it up. Then you give him instruction again. Correction. Reminding him of what you've already told him. And you say, now listen, do you understand? The way you don't get this is by not doing that. And then you hopefully one day he'll be trained. How many times do you have to do that to train somebody? <laughs> Man, every day. And finally one day you forget to tell your child and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't tell him not to play in the street. Although you've told him 972 times and you look out the window and bless, bless, he's not in the street. He's in the yard. Ha! Finally, he's been trained. But as long as he's a little child, he's gonna have to be reminded, 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 Reminded and reminded. And so Paul says, I'm sending Timothy, <laughs> and I love you. He loves you. Oh, you probably won't like him, though, because he's going to keep on reminding you of the things which I have taught you, my ways, which are God's ways. You know, listen, I can tell little Holland, my little granddaughter, <laughs> I've said that about five times, I already have. <laughs> Just don't want you to forget her name. I can say, little Holland, don't you do that. She'll look at me kind of funny, but she doesn't look at me because she knows not to do that. It's possibly the first time she's ever heard it. She's a little child. 
But I can tell my 24-year-old son that I love, he sent me a card the other day. It just made me weep of his precious heart. And I can say, Stephen, and I can tell him what to do, and he knows because he's heard it before. Now, you say, well, Wayne, why are you telling me all this? You've got to get the feeling of Corinth. They're not people who don't know. They're people who know, but they won't do it. And Paul is having to just reprimand them for it because he loves them. And he says, not only do I, am I going to reprimand you, I'm sending Timothy to you, and he's going to remind you, remind you, remind you, remind you, remind you, and remind you until you grow up and you mature and your senses are trained under righteousness. That's what somebody who loves will do. That's what compassion will bring about. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. My ways which are in Christ. You see, that's not fleshly ways. God's ways which he's taught me through the word which I teach everywhere that I go. Timothy had seen this. Timothy had been trained by Paul. And Timothy will do exactly what Paul had wanted him to do. Just like he did when Paul sent him to Philippi to do the same thing. Just like he did when Paul sent him to Thessalonica to do the same thing. He'll be faithful. And Paul says he's my truest companion. I need him. I lean on him. But you need him more than I do. And I'm going to send him to you to remind you of these things. You know, that really spoke to me. Because Paul loved them, listen carefully. When he was absent from them, he wanted to make sure that who was with them would continue to teach them the way Paul had taught them. Can I share something with you from my heart? <laughs> I'm gone a lot. You know that. But I want to tell you something. Don't be of Wayne, please. Brother Wayne, why we want, what do you mean we're of you? I don't know, but I just keep hearing maybe I'm wrong. i tell you what, maybe I'm wrong. That when I'm gone, sometimes the crowd will go down. Now, I don't know why that is, but they say when I come back, the crowd seems to come back. It couldn't be, could it, that some people are of Wayne? No, no. No, I've been here 16 years. Surely not. You know who preached Wednesday night? Bill Stafford. <laughs> Wayne, if you'd have told us, we'd have come. That is exactly my point. If you're of somebody, look out. Then you don't seem to trust the motivation of that person to make sure that when he's not there, who is going to be there will teach that which he has taught. That's been our commitment for 16 years. So this be... Uh, <laughs> Just wanted to say that. Thank you, Wayne. Really appreciate it. Okay. Tough love is when you're willing to tell somebody the hard things. And I want to tell you something. It's harder for the one telling it than it is for the people receiving it. And that's the heartbeat I get out of 1 Corinthians. He waits till chapter 4 and he says, hey, whoa, whoa, man, I've been tough. Let me explain something. Man, I love you. I'm like a father to you. You're my children. He turns right around and skins them alive for the next several chapters. But he wants to make sure they understand his heart because he'll say these things to them because he loves them. My mom, when I was growing up, <laughs> used to spank me. Can you believe this? She'd get up on a, on a chair and smack me in the knee. I mean, she was just five, six, and she'd spank me. She'd make me go out and get a switch. <laughs> you know, they talk about all this stuff today. What I mean, there is, there's a lot of abuses of it, but I want to tell you some of the things that went on. I would be seven, six if I'd have just been a better kid. 
I'd go out and have to cut a switch off. And I'd come in if that switch was too small. That's the honest truth. She'd go out and pick the one she wanted. She'd just cut the tree down and bring it in. And when she would switch me, boy, she would switch me and mom. I could tell she was mad, but she's mad because she's mad. <laughs> and she'd start crying while she was whipping me. And she'd say, this is hurting me more than it's hurting you. And I said, oh, is that right? Well, then quit. <laughs> I don't want to hurt you. <laughs> boy, she'd wear me out. I never understood that. Never understood that until one day I witnessed my little daughter being born and suddenly dawned on me, now I have stepped into a role that my mother had been in. And the first time we had to correct our children, I went back in the back of the room and just wept. Now I understand. You do what you believe is right as hard as it is to people you love that you want to see corrected and turned the right direction. So when you hear what Paul's going to say, Next several chapters. Just remember, here's a father who loves his children. Boy, he's going to say the hard things so that he can turn them to where they can be a blessing to the Lord. He's even going to send Timothy to be a constant reminder that even though he's not there, the teaching is. And it's going to go on saying the same thing until people have their senses trained and can grow up, get out of the nursery, throw away the pacifier, and start walking like they ought to walk. That's the whole point. The tough things, tough love. Are you willing to receive the tough love? Not looking at me or Paul, but looking at the fact that God loved you so much he gave you the word. Not only his son, but the written word. Every time you open it up, it's a love letter to you. Can you receive the hard things it says to your life? For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 